I, uh, I took advanced mathematics when I was in high school. And I, if, I, if memory recalls, I think I got an A. I tested out of introductory math in college. That was a good thing. I took accounting one and accounting two, and I mean, they gave me the degree, so I guess I passed those pretty well. I took statistics, other finance classes related to my business management degree in college. I can't say that I like math, per se, but I do, I I approach life in a logical, sequential, A equals B kind of way. It's this, it's this logical, uh, left-brained kind of thing. It's just, uh, you know, I, I, it's just, how I'm wired. And so uh, today when I, when I f- bring my logical, sequential, mathematical, left-brained thinking to Scripture and to the things of God and to the truths of the gospel, sometimes, sometimes it's a little hard to wrap your mind around it, to, to wrap my mind around it. Uh, Philip Yancey, uh, who I think maybe kind of relates to that as well, he, he wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace. And uh, just a, a quote from that book. It says, from childhood, we are taught how to succeed in the world. You get what you pay for. The early bird gets the worm. No pain, no gain. I know these rules well because I live by them. I work for what I earn. I like to win. I insist on my rights. I want people to get what they deserve. But Jesus taught a radically different gospel. The more I reflect on Jesus' parables proclaiming grace, the more tempted I am to apply the word atrocious to describe the mathematics of the gospel. Now, the Bible talks about punishment for for wrong behavior, and it talks about the consequences of sin. But over and over again, this, this whole concept of grace keeps popping up. And for the logical mind, it's like Yancey says, it's atrocious mathematics. It doesn't make sense. A does not equal B. But for those on the receiving end, <laughs> grace is a beautiful thing. If, if you haven't uh, uh, been here over the last several weeks, we've been studying the uh, the, the, the book of Romans in the Bible. Uh, and, uh, and, and just to bring you up to speed, uh, or just for those of you that were here but you were sleeping, uh, let me just bring you up to speed a little bit and uh, uh, remind you about some of the things we've been talking about so we're all kind of on the same page, so to speak. Romans isn't, isn't a book as much as it's a letter. It was actually a letter written by the apostle and missionary Paul uh, to the early Christian church in Rome about 20 years or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Paul had uh, had never been there, uh, he, he, but he had, he had met a few of the people, but probably not most of these folks. But he had heard about this great church, and he'd heard about the good things that God was doing in their lives. It says their their, their faith was known throughout the uh, throughout the region. So so Paul wrote a letter to them to instruct them and to encourage them. And uh, today we'll be looking at the uh, the end of chapter five of uh, of the book of Romans uh but there there's been a lot that's uh, that we've kind of talked about over these last 5 or 6 weeks uh just to remind you about a couple of things Paul says that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe he says that there's good news it's the gospel that there's this this good news of God that that he brings salvation to people he can save people but then right on the heels of that he says well people are sinful and, uh, and, and sin is a big deal, and God's wrath is coming toward the wicked. And then he says, well, we're all sinners. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it's not just toward those wicked, evil people out there, but he includes all of us. And he says, uh, okay, so there's good news that you can be saved, but uh, we're, we're sinful, and God's wrath is coming to the wicked, and that's all, that's actually us. 
But then he talks about Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection that has provided an answer to the problem of sin. He's, he, uh, one thing he talks about a lot is the word justification, that we've been justified. We're pronounced not guilty. Uh, God treats us just as if I'd never sinned. A justification uh, that, that, that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, that pays for or covers the penalty for my sin. He also talks about faith a lot in these chapters, and he says that faith, uh, that, that in order to access this forgiveness of God, this justification, all we have to do is believe. We have to, we have, to have faith. We can't earn it, but, but we have faith to believe it. And all of this, as we talked about last week, all of this is rooted in God's love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so that brings us to the middle of chapter 5, where, where Paul is going to compare and contrast the first man, Adam, uh, with, uh, with the gift of salvation that comes from uh, the, the perfect man, Jesus. Uh, you might see, as we read through this, you might pay attention to the word grace or the word gift. Uh, it's going to pop up just a couple of times in this passage. So Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, let's... Uh, Let's dive in there. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for our, all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life. For all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a lot there. It kind of goes back and forth. Some of it, uh, man, that first thing, uh, we're not even sure whether it's a sentence or not. It's just kind of this thing, and then it stops. And, then, uh, and I guess I, you have to know, Paul is uh, Paul couldn't write very well. Uh, he he would sign his name at the end of these letters, but he was speaking to a to a a, a scribe of sorts. And and so this person, so I, I'm thinking some of this as uh, is is you know Paul is dictating, he's thinking as he's as he's speaking, and he, he speaks, and then he kind of jumps over here and does it. He's talking about Adam and and Jesus. And 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 uh, let's just let's just jump into the middle of it. Adam sinned. You've probably heard the story before. Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, uh, enjoying a perfect relationship with God. They disobeyed the one rule that God gave them. Uh, they they ate the fruit of the tree that they weren't supposed to. And it says there, as Paul says here, sin entered the world, and in this way, death came to all people. 
It is the origin of sin. Paul is referring back to the origin of sin, what, what theologians call original sin. And we're all born with it. Death came to all people, it says. We inherit original sin. We're born with this tendency toward sinning, a tendency toward selfishness. Uh, if, if, we're, if we're given a choice between sin or not sin, uh, we, we kind of have this bent toward choosing the sin because we want to, we, and, and again, we've, we've talked about this, uh, sin is, is, uh, is all focused on me and what I want and what I desire and, and I'm going to think about me first. And so we have this tendency toward sin. It's original. It's in us. It's called original sin. That's the, 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 the first kind of sin that the, that the Bible talks about. But then the, the actual choice of sin, when, when, okay, we have this bent toward sin, but then, okay, now I'm going to choose to sin. That's what, uh, that's what many theologians refer to as personal sin. So now I've chosen to sin. So I, I'm born with this, this bent toward sinning, original sin, and, and then I have this, this personal sin that, that, uh, that I choose to sin. Original sin we inherit from Adam, personal sin we commit ourselves. Sorry about the theology lesson there. That was that was about three weeks in seminary for me, talking about original sin and personal sin, uh, and we covered it in a paragraph. But uh, Paul really isn't concerned right here about developing a whole doctrine of sin uh, or even going into all the theolo- theological ramifications of Adam's fall and, and what that meant and what that did and how that works. Uh, primarily, Paul's only bringing this up in order to show the amazingly glorious gift that Jesus brings to us in the middle of our sin. Paul's emphasizing not just that Adam brought sin into the world, but how Jesus has come and brought the possibility of forgiveness offered as a free gift. And that word grace is used more times in this chapter than any other chapter in the Bible, going by the whole, uh, whole of chapter 5. And in, in Greek, the, the word grace and the word gift are the same word. And so if you see it uh, translated grace or you see it translated gift, that's all the same word. And it, it, uh, it is peppered throughout this entire passage. Unmerited favor, a gift, the atrocious mathematics of the gospel... We are descendants of Adam, we are full of sin, but God extends grace. Grace is not earned or deserved, it's given. That's not usually how we operate, however. Usually, we want to, we, we think we should do something good in order to get something good. We want to deserve it, we want to earn it. Maybe you saw years ago the, uh, the movie Saving Private Ryan. Um, much money, just to, without going into all of it, much effort and money and loss of life went into uh, getting this private off the battlefield in World War II and getting, his ho- getting him home to his mother because she had lost uh, all her other sons in the war. And so they, they, the War Department wanted to get this, uh, this one son she had left and make sure he was safe. This is the part of the final scene. Let's watch it together. What, sir? James. Earn this. Earn it.
to be honest with you, I, I wasn't sure how I'd feel coming back here. Every day, I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I've earned what all of you have done for me. Earn this. What a burden to put on someone. Private Ryan had lived the rest of his days wanting to somehow earn what could never be earned. Jesus says the exact opposite of what that captain told Private Ryan. In, in a sense, Jesus says, I know you don't deserve this and I know that there is no way you can earn it, but you don't have to. It's grace. We still try, though. We still try to, to earn it. We try to do things to get into God's good graces, so to speak. God, I promise to be a better person. God, I, I won't ever do that again. God, I promise that, that I'll pray every day and I'll be nice to that person and I'll serve at that soup kitchen and, I'll, and I'll, I'll give a little extra in the offering. And There's nothing that you can do to get into God's good graces, to earn the grace of God. Now, I'm not putting down, putting a little extra in the offering plate. Feel, feel free to go ahead and, and do that. It, it's, those are good things that we do not to earn God's grace, but because of God's grace, right? Uh, we are helpless. Uh, the Bible says that we are dead in our sins. You cannot earn, you cannot buy God's grace. If you could, it wouldn't be grace. But that doesn't quite compute with us. I, uh, I read part of a blog post this week about trying to get someone to forgive you. And, and this person gave, I think it was eight points of, uh, of, of how, uh, how you can earn their forgiveness. Uh, one point was specifically, uh, one thing you, you should do, earn their forgiveness. You've done something wrong, uh, you want to earn their forgiveness. And this is a quote from the, the post that says, earning forgiveness requires a lot of hard work on your part. You basically have to prove yourself to whomever is angry with you. It will be up to you to show this person that you are worthy of being forgiven. <laughs> Let me just tell you, that is not how God operates at all. Please know that it is not up to you uh, to show God that you are worthy of being forgiven because you are not worthy of being forgiven. That's the whole point. <laughs> it's, it's grace. It's unmerited favor. It's a gift. Now, at the same time, I don't want you to think that, 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 that this picture of grace that, that, that I'm painting is this easy thing that, that God thinks sin is no big deal. We, we talked about it already. Part of, uh, the better part of three of the, the previous chapters talks about how uh, sin is bad and, and leads to awful consequences. And, and we've all sinned and we all fall short of, uh, of God's, uh, God's uh, plan for us. And, and, and uh, the, God's wrath is coming. And we have to get a clear picture of the immensity of our sin if we are ever going to grasp the depth of God's grace. So I don't want you to get a picture of God being like a nice old grandfatherly fellow who just kind of overlooks our faults and pats us on the head and, and oh, well, yeah, it's no big deal. I forgive you. <laughs> that, that's not true grace. God's grace may be free, but it isn't cheap. I, I, I want to say that again. God's grace is free, 
but it isn't cheap. It costs Jesus his life. God's grace has come at a huge price, and that's part of what makes grace so amazing. There, there are a few things real quick I want us to remember, maybe rediscover about grace this morning. The first thing, and, and we've, we've talked about this uh, in, in weeks past, God's, uh, or grace is extended to everyone. And, and Paul hits that uh, again in this passage uh, today. Uh, Jesus' gift of grace is for all people, it says in verse 18. All people have a problem with sin. We are born into it. Adam has brought it, and we've inherited it from Adam from the very first uh, man. We trace our sin back to Adam, so Jesus offers forgiveness because we all have this problem with sin. So many times I, th- I think God is, uh, people look at it as though God is playing hide and seek with us. And he's hiding and we're seeking. And if we're lucky, one of the lucky ones, maybe we'll catch him. Uh, if we look long enough, if we read the Bible enough, if we go to church enough, if we say our prayers, if we're nice enough, then maybe we'll find God. But God isn't hiding. <laughs> He's actually pursuing you. Uh, It's not that God is hiding from us. We tend to hide from him. And all he wants to do is extend grace and forgiveness to everyone. If it wasn't for everyone, it wouldn't be grace. If there were certain things we had to meet or attain in order to to qualify for grace, it wouldn't be grace. Someone would be excluded. It's for everyone. God's grace is for everyone. The second thing we need to recognize is that, is that grace is, or that Jesus is the author of grace. It, it comes through Jesus. We, we, God extends grace to us, but only because of what Jesus has done. It, grace comes to us by God's will through his son Jesus. The one man, Adam, brought sin into the world, and ever since Adam and Eve in the garden, humanity has been in need of grace. Paul gives us the good news that through the one man, Jesus Christ, a gift of forgiveness has now come. He's already explained how Jesus has served our sentence for us. Jesus has redeemed us. Jesus has been our sacrifice. The requirements and consequences of sin have been fulfilled in Jesus, and all we must do is accept it. Jesus, because of Jesus, and only because of Jesus, God's son, his death and resurrection, Jesus is the author of grace. I think we also need to recognize that grace has reconciliation as its number one goal. Uh, this actually, uh, Paul talks about reconciliation in the passage that we, that we actually looked at last week, the, the last couple of verses there, uh, talk about reconciliation, restoring the relationship. Um, because of Jesus, we can be reconciled in our relationship to God. Uh, so, so we think back to Adam and Eve in the garden again. They had a wonderful relationship with God. They walked and talked and enjoyed life together. It was an amazing existence, but then sin broke all that and, and separated humanity from God, and they were kicked out of the garden. And so the whole point of Jesus was to restore that relationship that had been broken. God wants to have a relationship with you, and he has made it possible through Jesus, and that's grace. Number four, and perhaps the uh, the most important, and the thing I, I want us to kind of kind of rest in today: grace goes deeper. Verse twenty says, "Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more." I think maybe this is becoming my new favorite verse. We would do well to to keep that verse close 
to turn it over in our minds, to turn it over in our hearts, to savor the truth of that. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Grace goes deeper than sin. We may be tempted to hear about the grace of God and push it away. Well, God can't forgive what I've done. God could never forgive this in my life. Where sin increased, grace increased even more. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what guilt you are carrying around today. I don't know what you think might be too much for God to handle, but it's not. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Uh, so uh, he invites us to come to him, to confess our sin, to repent, and, and have that deep desire to leave it behind us. And because of his grace, we can. His grace is enough. It's more than enough. There's, there's a, a couple of verses in Ephesians that describe the love of God, an extension of God's grace, his, uh, his, his love for us. Uh, he says in, in Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 17, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you know how wide and long and high and deep God's love is? It's wider and longer and higher and deeper than your sin. Paul prays that we would know the love of God that that goes beyond our knowledge, surpasses knowledge. It's wider and longer and higher and deeper than we can ever comprehend because it's wider and longer and higher and deeper than our sin. That's the foundation for our relationship with God. We've all sinned. We've come short of what God intended for his creation. But because he loves us and because of what Jesus has done, he will forgive us, forgive everyone who believes. We will never reach the end of God's love. It is a gift. It's grace. John Newton wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. You've no doubt heard that probably sung it many times. John Newton was a uh, former slave ship owner turned Christian and then pastor, and he, uh, he knew something about the grace of God that saved a wretch like him. He lived daily in the knowledge and the covering of God's abundant grace, and he once wrote these words, when I get to heaven, I shall see three wonders there. The first wonder will be to see many people there whom I did not expect to see. The second wonder will be to miss many people whom I did expect to see. And the third and greatest wonder of all will be to find myself there. Grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. It's a, it's a simple concept. It's a tiny little word. Uh, we, if we think about it, it doesn't necessarily come naturally. Naturally, we want, we don't offer grace. We want to receive grace. We're kind of, it's kind of hard to give grace. And even in our relationship with God, many times we, it just seems too good to be true. But Paul says that where sin increased, grace increased more and more. 
and more and more. And there's this much sin, there's this much sin, there's this much grace, there's this much sin, there's this much grace, there's this much sin, there's this much grace, on and on and on and on. And next week we'll talk about some of the ramifications of all of that, uh, all of that grace and, and what that means for how we live. But, but we have to realize, we have to rest in, we have to soak in, we have to immerse ourselves in the grace of God because that's the only place we can live. We don't earn it, we can't, we don't deserve it. There is no way in the world. And yet God, through Jesus Christ, his, his sacrifice for us, his perfect life and his death and his resurrection has brought grace. Jesus is the author of grace. That grace is extended to everyone. God wants a relationship with each of us. And no matter how deep our sin, God's grace goes deeper. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. 